Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's quite frankly been a few years since the last time that we were able to do a New York Knicks review show and not just sort of grumble angrily under our breath. But it's a brave new world out there, everybody. And the New York Knicks had fantasy value this year. Ladies and gentlemen, not only did they have some fantasy value, but they actually had quite a bit. What universe is this? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. It's Thursday, June the 15th. We are officially halfway through the month of June. One more episode this week after this one, and we'll be on to the final week of June episode. No, that's not true, I guess. Two more weeks of June episodes. Get it together, Bespris. I don't know. I'm not sleeping all that great these days. Right before I went on air, I sneezed so hard I gave myself a headache. I'm totally fine, though. Or, I don't know. I'm not sick. I guess there's that. So we're talking New York Knicks today. No real NBA news over the last day. The Nuggets are enjoying their championship parade, and everybody's hammered. KCP finally getting to have a parade since he was part of the Lakers championship during the... uh, Height of COVID, and no parades could be had. So he's doubling up. Nuggets are interesting, man. No matter how much they insist on standing on their own, every single person just keeps bringing up the Lakers. I can't watch any of these damn Nuggets parade clips without somebody going, yeah, and the Lakers this. It's like, guys, just enjoy it, man. Just enjoy it. This concept of, like, who gets the most coverage in the NBA has become a a strange subplot to every discussion about basketball, and it's really odd. I already had my rant on that on a previous show, but... Paraphrase? Everybody get over the fact that the big box sites and stations are going to bring up the extremely public teams. That's how they get people to watch it. You don't also have to do it. Or maybe you want to. Maybe that's the trick. But let's talk New York Knicks. I want to dive right into that stuff today. Today's going to be a little bit of a shorter show. You know, we've been up in the 30 to 40 minute range for a few here. Uh, But today is a, a day of low child care for yours truly. And there wasn't really anything going on in the NBA. And there will be a lot of days like that here coming up. Tomorrow, we will do one more team breakdown. Next week, we're going to focus largely on the draft because that is actually happening next week, so we should probably focus on it a little bit. It'll be a guest-heavy show, uh, series of shows because you guys know that um, I don't much care for rookies. I know Wembenyama is very interesting. So there's like this fantasy versus reality thing that has to go on with, with NBA draft stuff. And I'm a little laser-focused. How do I assess these players with respect to fantasy stuff? Anyway, we'll get to all that next week. Today, let's talk about the New York Knicks. But more specifically, let's talk about the New York Knicks after the trade deadline. They were 
that look, they they were a team that had fantasy value all season long, but after the trade deadline, the fantasy value actually got I don't say better necessarily, but it got wider in that so this is basically mid-February, last two months of the season, effectively. It's like 20 to 25. It's about 25 ball games. From roughly the trade deadline to the end of the year, the Knicks basically had six players that you could argue had fantasy value in some capacity. And I'm not talking about fill-in stuff. I'm talking about over that entire stretch. The highest-ranked New York Knicks player from the trade deadline to the end of the year, was actually Emmanuel Quickly, who was able to take a sizable chunk of goodies uh, because Jalen Brunson missed about three weeks in there. It was about three weeks, roughly. Julius Randle missed like the last two weeks of the season. So there were a whole bunch of extra shots to go around. I think R.J. Barrett missed a couple of games in there as well. Not a bunch, but a handful. And so quickly, over that stretch, averaged 15 shots per game, whereas if you look at it over the entire season, that field goal attempt number, and so the usage, was much lower. But what we also saw was that as the season was kind of wrapping up and almost everybody was in there, quickly still was finding a way to fantasy value about, I would argue, three out of every five ball games. And so then you're talking about not the final two months of the season, but really more like the final like four-ish, three or four weeks of the season. And quickly was still posting numbers. Final couple weeks, posting numbers. That was when Randall was out. So yeah, yeah, I mean, obviously it takes somebody being hurt for him to really step into a massive role. But there's almost no stretch of time during the second half of this season, that quickly wasn't a fantasy value. Second half of the season. Again, I'm not talking about the first half. Over the entire year, quickly was ranked number 111. And that's kind of the beauty of this whole thing, is that normally, when there's a guy who relies fairly heavily on volume scoring to float his value, that's a guy that gets overdrafted in fantasy leagues. But there's actually a very real scenario here where people saw the entire season, the full body of work, and said, oh, you know, 110, not bad. But didn't look at the what happens if someone is out scenario, which for the Knicks didn't really happen the first half of the season. But as it tends to be, if your team is incredibly healthy for 45 games in a row, someone's going to get hurt at some point. And then quickly was basically like a top 40 play. It took one usage guy being out for quickly to jump from basically like 130 to top 40. That's it. And over that stretch, he played his way into the good graces of Tom Thibodeau. That perhaps is the largest piece of information we can collect. Not only that, quickly is on under contract for $4 million for this coming season and then becomes a restricted free agent the year after that. So, he's there. And, on top of everything else, the only player for the Knicks, the only impact player who might not be back is Josh Hart. And we'll talk about him here as the second name on our board. But Jalen Brunson is signed for a while. Julius Randle signed for a while. Uh, Mitchell Robinson is signed for a while. R.J. Barrett is signed for a while. The Knicks are pretty well salaried, like, locked in. And then they got the young guys, 
or they signed uh, Hardenstein as one more year on his deal, but that doesn't really, not really a factor. Obi Toppin, rookie deal. Quentin Grimes, who we're going to talk about him in a minute as well. The Knicks of last year are pretty much the Knicks of this coming season, depending on what happens with Josh Hart, who has a player option for about $13 million, although with as well as he played down the stretch, he can probably go get on the open market. One would assume maybe a similar average annual annual value, but over more than one year. One would assume that his agents are already talking to different teams and will instruct him on whether to opt out and sign a new deal or just take the 13 mil. But we saw how Josh Hart looked for New York down the stretch. He was basically like 10 points, 7-ish rebounds. I mean, here, we can get the exact numbers on Josh Hart post-trade from Portland. But his stuff, the way he accrues stats, doesn't really change all that much. By the way, I want to, just a final thought on Emmanuel quickly. I actually think that there's a very real chance that he's a, a potential draft day value. He's a guy that to, strikes me as someone that people are going to be looking at in that kind of like 85 to 100 range where you start to take a couple of shots. And he's a shot I might look at in there. 25 games. That's what uh, Hart played with New York after the after this trade. 10.7 boards, 3.5 assists, 1.4 steals, 59% from the field. That felt somewhat unsustainable. One three-pointer, which again, not a, not a big-time three-point shooter, but that feels like something he could probably replicate. Not on the percentage he was hitting him, but the total numbers. Free throw is meh. For him, but look, he's always a very good rebounding guard slash wing. Steals were good. Uh, maybe a little bit on the high side, but frankly, when he's gotten 30-plus minutes, he's been in that 1.1 to 1.4 range before. This time, he just happened to be kind of on the higher side. Enjoyed playing with that Knicks brand of toughness, the Tom Thibodeau type. You knew he was going to just be a Thibodeau guy. He just had it plastered all over his face. We'll find out where Josh Hart ends up, um, but you know if he's in a place where he's going to get 30 minutes, he's probably going to get underdrafted because he doesn't score that much. But he's also probably not going to be a top 50, top 60 guy like he was in New York because the field goal percent was unsustainably high. The steals were probably a little bit on the high side. Three-point percentage was a bit on the high side, but you can sort of lump that in with field goal percent uh, in the overall metrics. Next name I wanted to mention uh, beyond quickly and beyond Josh Hart was Quinton Grimes, who actually turned himself into... And there were stretches this year where... Kind of backtracking a tiny bit on Grimes. There was a stretch earlier in the season where Grimes got the starting job. And he had a stretch where he was playing relatively well. But over time, you could see the, the kind of lack of offensive role did wear on him a little bit. But what you can also notice with Grimes is that he really started to settle in and kind of come into his own more so when Randall got hurt than any other situation. But when he got thrust into that bigger role, he was stellar. Now it's only basically two and a half weeks. So you're talking about roughly the final 10 games of the year. But the final 10 games of this 2022-2023, it's hard for me to say those numbers real fast. Quentin Grimes was number 20 in 9-cat. Again, unsustainable numbers. Julius Randle was largely not there for those games. But Grimes on 13 shots a night was averaging 20 points, 4 boards, 3.5 assists, 
Four and a half three-pointers, a steal on 55% from the field. Yeah, I mean, obviously those numbers were not going to hold. But you're starting to see the outlines of what could be. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Knicks would probably have to move on, presumably from Randall or maybe R.J. Barrett, but I, I don't know what the market is for those guys. I'm guessing not that outstanding. Grimes is one where you know maybe people are taking a shot on him. I don't see it quite as clearly as the heart or quickly path to usage and value specifically because of how uh, absurd some of the kind of peripheral stuff was like he's not gonna hit four and a half three pointers a game over any kind of stretch this 10 game was uh complete insanity for him and then presumably you have to kind of go into a season of, of taking four i mean there's no one on this team that they expect to miss the beginning of next year. So maybe we can leave it like that. You assume that the team is going to be healthy going into opening night. And if that's the case, then you're probably getting a Grimes that's taking more like 10 shots instead of 13, which is still better than 9, and maybe wedges him towards that 100 range. But like again, if you look at all-star break on for New York, Grimes took 9 shots per game, and he was number 129. He's not that far off, and he hit three three-pointers a game over that stretch. But, again, the final 10 games of those 25, he was top 20. So if you're looking at the previous 15, he's more like top 200 range. And that's what you have to remember. These things have a way of evening out. When I take a look at Grimes at, like, pick 130, 135, yeah, because, you know, there just aren't that many guys that, in the, in the 11th round, 12th round of your fantasy draft, are likely to play 30 minutes a night, so you kind of roll with that. Um, But again, we've seen enough of the fantasy profile to say, this guy probably needs more usage than he's going to get. So not quite as high on Grimes. I'm keeping an eye on him, so he's not fully off the board, but he is intriguing. Julius Randle's the next name I want to talk about. He's always going to be overdrafted in nine cat leagues because he's bad at all three of the points leagues categories. It's just a given because ADP on most websites that host fantasy games is calculated with this sort of aggregate, this aggro crag of eight cat and nine cat and points league drafts, and they all get rolled into the same bucket. And even if you 
split them 33, 33, and 33, which I think on Yahoo, most of the leagues are nine cat. That's their default setting. ESPN, most are points leagues. Eight cat has like a nice cross section on different websites as well. Either way, and we've talked about this, this is this is just sort of a, a simplistic math problem, but if you just assume, you don't even need to assume anything. If any leagues on the websites you're covering are eight cat or points league, Julius Randle is going to get drafted earlier in those than in nine cat leagues. And so if there's even one out of 100, and the number is going to be higher than that, then his ADP is going to be earlier than it should be in your nine cat league. Now, if it's eight cat, he moves up the board. You know, I'm lo- again, I'm looking at the final 25 games largely for the Knicks because that's what they were like post All-Star break. Randall had a really good start to the season. Um, not that he was bad the rest of the way, but I don't know. Kind of came back to earth a little bit down the stretch. Not a lot. I mean, rebounding was a little lower. Maybe Mitch, uh, an extra dose of Mitchell Robinson in there helped the cause. Mitchell being hurt for stretches. Josh Hart coming in and snatching some rebounds away from Randall. And then again with Julius, you know, a ton of his value is rolled up in points, threes, rebounds, assists. That's where he makes his hay. And so if any of those things start to peter out a little bit, it does take some of the shine off. So for the whole season, he was number 69 in nine category leagues down the stretch. He was closer to mid 80s to early 90s. Not a big drop off, you know, round and a half, two rounds, something like that. But not nothing. You know, you need those extra rebounds if that was even the case. And then there's kind of the small sample size stuff where, like, different guys are slotted in front. If you if you gave me Randall at 26, 8, and 4 instead of 25, 10, and 4, it's still like a 75 range kind of play for 9-cat because low defensive stats, bad percentages, high turnovers. That's five kind of down arrows and four up arrows for him. It does, frankly, make it harder for him to climb the board he's one of those interesting cats where usage isn't necessarily value it helps but not by that much it would almost be more worthwhile if randall would just go out and rebound a little bit more but the assists are nice but then they come with the turnovers anyway we're probably not going to end up with randall on any nine category teams we'll probably will end up with him on some points league type rosters he's a solid points league play extremely reliable. Jalen Brunson. You guys might have noticed I skipped over Mitchell Robinson. This is on purpose. We're going to come back to him because he might be the most interesting player. Eh, I don't know. There's quite a few, actually. Quickly is interesting. Hard is interesting. Mitch Robb is interesting. Jalen Brunson is interesting because he had just a wonderful year. He was number 44 in 9-cat over the entire season. He was number 45 after the All-Star break. Remarkably consistent. Not many defensive stats. He averages about one combined over the course of an entire year, and that's not far from where he's been throughout his career. Excellent scoring on terrific percentages. Doesn't shoot a ton of threes, but a few here and there. He's around two. That's still a small positive. Decent assist numbers. Not overwhelming there. He's at six because Randall does a lot of the orchestrating on this team and Barrett does some, and Quickly does some, and Hart down the stretch did some, so they kind of split the deal. But Brunson is the point guard. He led the team in that category. 
And the turnovers were not all that bad for him. So just across the board, we talked the other day about how guys with kind of more of a shooting guard type profile, it's hard to collect fantasy value. Brunson is kind of that type. More of a shooting guard profile, points, threes, free throw percent, some assists, but the way that he elevates his game is by being a very good field goal percent shooting guard. Those guys are relatively rare. Zach Levine's decent there. Jalen Brunson's decent there. We talked about Donovan Mitchell having a really big season field goal percent this year. But he did it without a ton of defensive stats. And when you look towards whatever the future may hold, as this season went on, even though Brunson's value stayed almost exactly the same and his actual numbers really didn't fluctuate all that much, he became more the guy. I know that seems insane to say because Randall still was kind of out shooting him on a game-to-game basis in total attempts, but I would venture to say that anybody who watched this team with any regularity and probably within the organization, they're trying to figure out how do we get the ball into Brunson's hands more and Randall's hands a little bit less. Because Julius is fine and all. He does his, he does his stuff. He, he you know bulldozes his way in and takes sometimes ill-advised threes. But Brunson's the efficiency guy. He's the efficiency monster, the high, effective field goal dude. Real and effective. Over two three-pointers per game on roughly 50% from the field. That's fantastic. That's the guy you want orchestrating things. That's the guy that teams have to respect the most because not only, I mean... He's also a wizard around the bucket. He's an excellent two-point shooting guard, even though he's listed as 6'2", which means he's probably more like 6 feet 6'1". He just gets to his spots and he makes his buckets. He's incredibly hard to contain. So consistent, too. I don't know that there's another gear for Brunson, which I guess is sort of the downside with him, because if you're drafting him presumably in the 40s, you're kind of understanding you're going to get a guy who gives you numbers in the 40s. He's not going to surprise anybody. You hope that he stays healthy all year, and maybe that's the ticket to beating his ADP would be playing a decent number of games. He was in 68 this year, and it was basically like, that's almost right on the league marker. Was it 67 this year, I think? Oh, well, we can just do a totals check on that, and that'll figure it out. Uh, yeah, exactly. He was number 44 per game, number 44 by totals. He was like right on league average and durability. So yeah, is Brunson probably going to get drafted in the forties this coming season? Probably. Or like around 40 early fourth round. Is he worth it? Yeah, probably. He's kind of like a safe grab in there. If you've taken any shots in the first three rounds or you want to set yourself up to take a really big swing in the fifth, that's fine. Is there much upside there? Probably not. I doubt he goes beyond 18 shots per ball game unless somebody significant gets moved on this club. Is he going to get more assists or rebounds or the field goal percent or free throw? Like, none of that stuff really looks like it's about to go up for him. It felt like this was just, like, this is what you're going to get out of Jalen Brunson for probably the next half decade. So just settle in and enjoy the Chris Middleton-like ride uh, and then hope that he doesn't have any catastrophic injuries. I know what you're thinking, Dan, why did you skip over R.J. Barrett? Because I don't care. 
RJ Barrett, 20 points, five boards, three assists, and just an absolute dumpster fire almost everywhere else. Number 227, even by totals in 9-cat, 290 on a per-game basis. And if you're like, Dan, do his, does his situation improve if I'm in a point in a punts league or a points league? Points league? Dan still knows how to speak sometimes. The answer is a little bit. Number 153 if you're only attacking the non-percentages and non-turnover categories. He just was not close. The defensive stats weren't there. Threes were not good enough to make up for some of the other stuff. Terrible field goal percent. Bad free throw number. Turnover was meh. Like, not horrible, but a guy who's not really passing very much. It's just a turnover ratio of basically like 1.25 to 1. There is not much to like there from a fantasy standpoint. I know he does fine for what the team needs and blah, 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 but nope. But the guy I do want to talk to you all about is the great Mitchell Robinson, who, once again, missed a crap ton of games, 23 of them this year in total. That sucks. And it, unfortunately, happens somewhat regularly to Mitchell whether it's a leg or an arm or a hand or whatever it is, he has a tough time making it through a damn season. Last year, he played in 72 out of 82 games. That's about pretty close to as good as it's gotten for him. Rookie year, 66 out of 82. Sophomore year, COVID season, 61 out of 72. So only 11 missed there. Then he missed 41 the year after that. 10 last season, this year, 23. But what I'd like to Draw everyone's attention to Exhibit A. Mitchell Robinson, for the second time, I'm in a roundup, by the way. He averaged 26 minutes and 58 seconds a game. I'm going to call that 27 because it's for the second time now in his career he has hit 27 minutes per ball game. The other time was 2020-2021 when he was hurt and he was sort of bouncing around and there was no consistency there. But this season, the Knicks basically said, you're our center. It kind of took him a little bit this year to get the blocks numbers settled. And I don't know if that was just, you know, new personnel around him or what. But bearing in mind, of course, Robinson blocked 14 shots the final two games of the season. He still finished at 109 on the year. Fourth highest for him, but some of that was the games played issue. 1.8 per ball game, same as last year. 0.9 steals. We're talking about 2.7 combined defensive stats, over nine rebounds for the first time in his career. That was a really nice sign for Mitch Rob. Still a terrible foul shooter. Maybe someday we'll hold our breath. And field goal percent was back down to 67 after being at an unrealistic 76 last year. Still, he's 71 over his career. So there's kind of no reason to think that going into next season, that couldn't inch back up from 67 to even 70 or 71 again. It's not like they're asking him to do more on offense. All that to say, I think people overlooked how good Mitchell Robinson was on a game-to-game basis. He got dropped in one of my Roto Leagues, which was really surprising uh, when he was listed as out for whatever it was, two, three weeks, something like that. And I very promptly scooped him up because he was really terrific in the stuff he was good at. You could argue that he was a little bit of a punt free throw guy. And especially down the stretch. He shot 40% after the All-Star break. But, you know, if you settle that in more like 50, where he's been basically throughout his career, 
it's bad, but it's not unfixable bad. There are about five players in the NBA that could wipe out Mitch Robb's negative all by themselves, and then there are another, like, 15 to 20 that get pretty close to wiping him out by themselves. Someone like a Lowry Markinen. You know, if you had Markinen and Mitchell Robinson this year, you were only ever so slightly sub-average in free throw percent. You throw in one more half-decent foul shooter, and it's back to being a positive for your team. So it's not that hard to wipe him out. I know you guys are always like, Dan, you keep telling us don't punt anything. Don't punt anything. Yeah, that's true. Um, but there are, like, one guy typically doth not a punt make unless it's Giannis or Steven Adams, basically. Those are the guys who are like, yeah, you know, there's probably no coming back from this because it basically means I can't draft anyone else who's not great at foul shooting. Mitchell Robinson was like the 10th worst impact guy. So it made him close to a punt free throw play. But really, he's kind of in that department where you'd call it not a punt free throw guy, but just a bad free throw guy. Like Evan Mobley range. Walker Kessler was kind of close to that. Jakob Pertl. These guys are annoying to have on your team for free throws because they're going to hurt you you know, one out of every three days, or maybe they'll have like one or two games where they're not awful. So, you know, two to three times a week, they're going to hurt you in free throws. But it's not like Giannis, where you're just going to lose. Or Steven Adams before he got hurt, where you're like, you know what? I can have two, three really good foul shooters on my team, and all that's going to do is get me back to average? Like five roto points? No, not worth it. Nick Claxton, Eric Gordon, Rudy Gobert, those guys are kind of in the next tier down with, uh, amazingly, Zion, before he got hurt, was kind of in that next tier behind the two worst in the league. They were in the, you should strongly consider punting group. Uh, and then you get into that next chunk, which is Mitch Rob, Kessler, Pirtle, Mason Plumley. although you guys shouldn't have been starting him all season anyway, Capella, Mobley, Russ. Those are guys who are like, I might, punt free throw here that might make my life easier but also if I don't want to I could navigate my way through it so anyway all that to say Mitchell Robinson probably gonna get underdrafted next year because one of the things he's worst at in addition to free throw is points I love the guys that suck at points you guys know that about me the dudes that stink at scoring are the guys that fall in fantasy drafts. And yes, it's hard if you don't get scoring early. It's quite hard to come back from that. But there are also a lot of really easy ways to win your Roto League without a ton of scoring. Because all these guys that are really, really good at other stuff, they fall in fantasy drafts. Because nobody else wants to lose points. I find it quite satisfying to lose points because I'm usually very good at boards, assists, steals, blocks, percentages, because I can usually avoid some of the volume guys. Anyway, I don't want to get into like team build stuff right now in, in my Mitchell Robinson defense class or whatever this podcast is turning into. But look, this dude was top 70 down the stretch. Um, he was basically in that range for most of the season. I don't know why I closed the tab that had his entire year. He was number 55 for the full season, where 
you know, everybody's numbers got included. He was actually, I think he was better down the stretch than he was earlier in the year, but that 40% free throw is the thing that kind of sunk him. But, you know, close to three combined defensive stats, close to 10 rebounds per game for a whole season. Very good rebounding, good steals for a big man, excellent blocks for a big man, excellent field goal percent guy. Never turns the ball over, so that's useful for 9-cad. And, you know, I just, like, for a guy that finished in the 50s on a per-game basis, there's just almost no way he gets drafted in the 50s next year. I'd be surprised if he got drafted in the 60s. I think you see Mitrob go off between 75 and 95 next season, and he feels like almost a guaranteed win because he makes them a lot better on defense. We saw this year, and I know Hartenstein was playing through some stuff, so that as the year went on, he became a little bit less clunky. But Mitchell Robinson was vastly superior for what the Knicks were trying to do. He's also gotten a little bit better at not fouling out of ball games. So maybe, just maybe, there's a universe where we see Mitchell hit 28 minutes next season. Probably not, because they'll play Randall at the 5 from time to time, and that kind of slices into it. Not as much. You know, Mitchell, Hartenstein, those guys were at 27, 21 minutes apiece, but there were games where Mitchell Robinson was out, so Hartenstein's minutes climbed a little. Jericho Sims played 19 minutes a game this year. Anyway, uh, needless tangential remark to say, Robinson's minutes probably not going to flex all that much, but they were better with him on the floor. You don't think Tom Thibodeau wants his defensive anchor out there? He sure as you know what does. So Dan said this show was going to be a shorter one. Dan was wrong. We're back up in the 30s again. But I will tell you at the end here, uh, just three days before Father's Day, it doesn't even make sense at this point to talk about Manscaped as a Father's Day gift. Just get Manscaped for somebody as an anytime gift. And if a handful of you guys continue to look into their amazing products with promo code ETHOS20 to get 20% off and free shipping, that helps us here. Everybody's always like, hey, Dan, how can we help you guys with Fantasy NBA Today? Well, liking and sub- or, uh, uh, not liking, subscribing and dropping a five-star review is always useful. Uh, retweeting it when you see the stuff go out on Twitter, that's always useful. Um, I'm never going to be someone who has like a donation bucket, not while we have Sports Ethos in existence. I, you know, At Ethos, we're trying really hard to create kind of a sustainable model, which is grow and as you grow you continue to kind of add people in a more of a full-time capacity but it's hard you know each there's steps along the way and uh i'm I'm proud to be part of kind of the initial haul here at sports ethos um so i'm i'm very lucky that i don't have to do the um the donation bucket method very lucky to not have to go that path because that's I know that's a harder way to do it. Um, all that to say, if there's something you want to do, check out our advertisers and check out what Sports Ethos sells. There you go. Ethos 20, the promo code over at Manscaped. I'm not going to tell you about the products today because, again, I got to run. But have a wonderful Thursday, everybody. We'll wrap up the week tomorrow. One more team breakdown tomorrow. It is the Warriors, the defending champs, who are no longer the defending champs. And then next week, we'll roll into the Young Guns. Oh, no. Will Dan survive? Tune in and find out. Click the BuzzFeed article. Okay, later for now.